We continue our conversation with Todd Fisher. This time, the subject is his sister, Carrie Fisher. We'll be doing that today on This Is Today. Welcome to This Is Today, the podcast that features the stories that make this day unique. It's Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. I'm Russ, and here's what you need to know about today. It is Still Need To Do Day. Yeah, what is that? Well, the stuff that you still need to do, do it today. Now, this includes, I guess, those resolutions that you made last year. If you haven't got them done yet, well, maybe get them done today. You got a couple of days left. Um, and, you know, you can check those things off your list. Hopefully, it's not something that takes a whole year to do and you can get it done in one day. That might be something to set up for your uh, resolution this year, right? Just uh, set up something that you can do in a day, be done with it, check it off your list, and there you go. Your whole year is done. Um, you know, you never know if it's going to be another 2020. <laughs> Just plan ahead. Get whatever you can done while you can. There you go, right? All right. So as I've uh, uh, continued to talk about every single day, we are going to talk about the events of this day today. Let's uh, first start in 1851. The first American YMCA opened up in Boston, Massachusetts on this day in 1851. And yeah, now it had been around for a lot longer. It actually opened up in 1844 on June 6th in London by Sir George Williams. YMCA, for those of you that don't know, stands for Young Men's Christian Association, and it aims to put Christian principles into practice with a healthy body, mind, and spirit. And it's also a fun place to stay, you know, at the YMCA. So, young man, there's a place you can go. I said young man. Never mind. I'm not going to continue with that. But you know where I was going with that, of course. The song. We wouldn't have that if we didn't have uh, the YMCA opening up on this day in 1851. Also, on this day, 1982, a postage stamp was issued in Jamaica with the face of Bob Marley on it. He got his own postage stamp. That's pretty awesome. Todd Bridges was arrested on this day for transporting methamphetamines. Speed, to be specific, in 1993. Okay, I am not going to hold up our interview for today because I am so excited about talking once again to Todd Fisher. We had a great talk yesterday. If you didn't hear the podcast yesterday, we covered his mom, Debbie Reynolds, and today we are covering his sister, Carrie Fisher. So we will talk with Todd Fisher right after this. It's been four years since the death of Carrie Fisher. She passed away on December 27th, 2016. And we talk about that event today with Todd Fisher, her brother. Carrie Fisher, for those of you that know the name, you know her as Princess Leia. You know her from When Harry Met Sally. I loved her in The Burbs, one of my favorite movies, even though it's a little weird, I know. (laughs) I loved that movie. So many TV shows, so many movies starred Carrie Fisher, but she was also a writer. Yeah, she wrote Postcards from the Edge, the book and the screenplay. She also wrote the one-woman show, Carrie Fisher, Wishful Drinking, available on HBO Max. Fantastic watch. You've got to check that out. So, okay, she dies. And then the next day, her mom, Debbie Reynolds, dies. It was just heartbreaking to see this on TV. I, I remember, you know, calling my mom and, and calling my wife and like, we just couldn't believe what had just happened. It was just so depressing. 
Um, to talk about this with me, I'm joined by Todd Fisher. And I, God, I mean, Todd, you went through this. You were there. Uh, it was depressing for all of us. I can only imagine how heartbreaking those days were for you. Well, I think people were shocked that it, that it could even be. Like, it's surreal. Yeah. And you're like, what? How could this be? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, the, the fact that Carrie died the way she died was already sort of inexplicable. And the timing of that is, is yeah. odd. I, I made a comment recently where I said, you know, the truth is we were lucky to have Carrie that long, given her propensity for mental illness and her drug issues. And, uh, you know, she lived, uh, she lived in the fast lane. That's all there is to it. And, mm -hmm. and so that we had her all those years is, was miraculous. And my mother at the end, when Carrie, when she was in a coma, my mother prior to her actually passing said, we just, could we just have a little more time? Like in an out, outwardly spoken prayer. She just wanted a little more time. She always just wanted a little more time. And, and we got it for, for 60 years. Uh, yeah. You know, it was a miracle that she lived past the teenage years and then her 20s. And there was mm. a lot of close calls. Mm. And later in life, if it wasn't for her daughter, Billy, and the responsibility of being a mother, I think she maybe would have left us even sooner. You know, I mean, there was no question that that she held herself to some accountability because of her daughter. We all do. Yeah. You know, kids yeah. make you be responsible. Mm -hmm. Well, or they don't, in which case you're a crap. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people said that your mom died of a broken heart. And you justifiably, I feel, disagree with that. What, what really happened? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, I didn't, it's not like I wanted to, to, to uh, contradict that point of view, but it's just not true or nor accurate. It was a bunch of these, you know, PhD pundits on the news shows trying to explain, you know, what had happened to Debbie when they have absolutely no information whatsoever about the reality of what happened. But I was right there. I mean, I was literally with her for her last words. And mm -hmm. the last words were, I need to be with Carrie. Now, I didn't know what she was talking about at that moment. You know, you, you just think they're words. Uh, I didn't realize she literally meant she was going to go be with Carrie, but there was no heartbreak or tears. It was literally a, a intentional departure. You know, philosophically she knew, first of all, in my book, I write about me being brought into this world. My mother chased my father down. She knew the marriage wasn't going along that well, but she didn't want Carrie to be an only child. She didn't want her to be alone. Mm -hmm. She literally ran my father down in Europe and got gave him a couple of beers, and she got pregnant. She was with her best friend, and she went back to the room <laughs> after sleeping with him one time, and she said to her best friend, okay, we can go home now. And my girl was like, Debbie, that's not how it works. I mean, you don't, you know, she goes, no, I know I'm pregnant. We can go home. Mm -hmm. Goes home. And here I am talking to you right now. So obviously she had a pretty good sense of this, but what it was all about was she wanted Carrie to have a companion. I was the companion. Now, when I couldn't follow Carrie, she had just left the earth. My mother knew that, but she in her mind could and did. And so yeah. there's, there's a, a certain amount of sadness and grief that hits you about that. But when I realized what had happened and what she, then she had willed herself off the earth to be with Carrie, I, I it became more magical it, 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 as opposed yeah. to something sad. Right. And, and, and that I had to share because I, I knew that Debbie's fans would want to understand what had happened right. and why. 
Right. It wasn't about, oh, I'm so sad I died of grief. Yeah. It just didn't happen. I was with her from front to back. I didn't leave her for a 24-hour period there after the hospital with Jerry. And, mm-hmm. and it, was, it was not about that. So yeah. it's kind of magical and beautiful. What about your uh, your last moments with Carrie? Well, so Carrie and I had a – the moment that's relevant is she had – she was going to come home for her birthday, but she couldn't make it because they were filming Star Wars. And then she came home like a few weeks later and we had this big birthday party. And my mother was adamant that we had to have the biggest blowout party of all time. So we literally went crazy. I mean, we, we had so much equipment. And it, was the most, it was the wildest party we'd ever thrown, the most elaborate. We had to have generators brought in. I mean, it was like, you know, it was like crazy, this party. Yeah. And, and so- and you know what? At first, Carrie wasn't that into it. And then when she saw everything was happening, she's like, yeah, this is, uh, this is fantastic. So that party went on and it went on and on and on. And then it was like the end of the party comes and there's everybody's leaving. And finally, Carrie and I are alone in her den. And we have this really beautiful moment where we were like, you know, it's soon. It's just going to be you and me. You know, we need to go back to our days where we traveled together. And, you know, we need to we need to go back to that because we're not going to have her that much longer. It's more than obvious. We almost lost her the year before. You know, she had a stroke and we almost lost my mom. And then she came back. And, you know, we just had to recognize that it, it wasn't going to be. It was a finite amount of time we were going to have our mother. And she was like reaching out like, hey, you know, it's you and me, kid. And I was like, hey, I am in, you know, just like old times. That's why we're here. And we just had this beautiful moment and we were both in tears and it was a great moment. And a few days later, she left and went back to, to, to Europe, to England to mm-hmm. work on the film. And, uh, you know, she never came home. Uh, yeah. I mean, she did come home, but she had had a stroke on the plane. And my last moments with her, you know, was just one sided. It was me talking in her ear in the hospital. And I, you know, I tried to encourage her to stick around, uh, you know, and I reminded her of those words that she spoke, but there was no way, you know, that she could do it physically. She just, you know, too much had happened to her. Um, yeah. The damage on the plane, mm-hmm. you know, apparently, you know, was too much. You you combine that with with the already pre existing conditions that she had. She wasn't in the greatest health. I mean, my sister literally drank a six pack of Coke a day every day of her life. Yeah. And wow. and she was an intermittent smoker, even though she didn't right. fully admit it. And then you couple that in with the freaking pills that the doctors gave her. My God, I mean, it was mm. endless amounts of different medications and psychotropic drugs, and you know, so she took a her body took a, a lot of abuse. You know, genetically, Carrie and I were almost identical. I mean, our hair color, our eye color, you know, our our physique, everything about us, skin skin tone, everything was very similar. Because we were very obviously the same parents, but also very, you know, uh, only a year apart, etc. So genetically, we were very similar, and a lot of times we sort of felt things the same, like like twins do. You know, we had sort of these interesting little sort of connections, and mm-hmm. and so I I always you know I I never like I always thought wow I don't know how you're surviving all of this. I mean, I watched her go through overdoses and things, and I. I was like, this is so hard on your body. And, you know, I've never had these issues. So I don't, nobody understands, trust me, what it's like to walk in those shoes unless right. you actually walk in those shoes, which I never have. Yeah, so yeah. I never judged her. And I, all the people that judged my sister, I used to say, you know what? 
You don't know. You don't have these issues. You don't know what another man's burden is. You know, and and so uh, and then like when the press called me after she died, you know, sometime later they snuck the uh, the toxicology report out of the hospital, uh, you know, against mm. everybody's wishes. Right. And you know, they called me and said, "Well, what do you think about this report about drugs being in Carrie's system?" I'm like, "What? Like, who cares?" Well, what do you think? I don't think anything. I mean, what? That's news? Oh, there's drugs in Carrie's system. Shocking. <laughs> oh, well, there's some news. Let's send out the world. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like she, I said, did you read any of her books? She outed herself right. in the last 30 years. I mean, come on. Clearly, they didn't watch uh, Wishful, uh, wishful, <laughs> yeah, wishful right? Drinking. Or Wishful Drinking. <laughs> Let's go back to Postcards to the Edge. You know, it's five, three yeah. decades ago. That was what was brilliant about Carrie is just she was willing to put herself out there. She was right. willing to... As she used to say, our family wears its underwear on the outside of its clothes. And what she meant by that is there's like nothing private in this family because we are owned by our fan base. So everything is shared and you have to just own that. And she was okay with it. And she did. She shared everything with her fans. And that's what partly what a lot of those books were about. And when she outed herself for mental illness, I mean, that's heroic stuff. Yeah. She was, I think, way more heroic than her Princess Leia character. You're right, because Princess Leia didn't have the ailments that Carrie had in real life. Right. So the idea that you could be Princess Leia while you have a mental illness and write six books and rewrite 50 scripts and act in 50 movies mm-hmm. and still be Princess Leia, right? that's pretty friggin' remarkable. That is. So she's in many ways more heroic than my mother. I, people always you know, knew my mother to be pretty heroic because of the way she survived divorce and a lot of things and public humiliation and by my father. And you know, people always admired her for the way she handled herself in life like that. And that was an, an admirable thing. But Carrie was more heroic in the sense that she had to do it all while having a mental illness. Right. That is a remarkable accomplishment and inspirational thing for others to see. That's what's so great about it is I cannot tell you how many literally thousands of people have written me or come up to me and told me how important it is to them that they could see oh, if she could survive this and do all of this and if she could take the shame away from mental illness and make it okay for us to be, have this disorder, I could live without that burden. Right. I mean, that's a huge thing. And People was, are crushed by shame. Right. And she made it okay and removed the shame. That is a miracle. I've got to ask because, you know, the the, the Star Wars geeks out there are, are going to force me to ask and, you know, myself included. Um, were you satisfied with the, the way that Star Wars handled the, the character's death? Obviously, there's a duality to my issue there. You know, you're watching, you, you know, you're watching your right. sister die. You're also watching the character die. Now I have an issue with the idea of, or the necessity to dispose of these characters. I mean, you know, to me, the, those original characters are the heart of the story. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm talking about the droids. I'm talking about Yoda. I'm talking about Harrison and Mark and Carrie. I mean, that's yeah. to me. It's the heart of the whole story. Yeah. And, and so the idea that there's some necessity to dispose of it, I, I just don't get it. Right. Uh, it's like in a soap opera, they used to do this all the time. And then they would realize what a mistake it was. The fans would be upset and they'd have to figure out some way to bring these people back from the dead. 
right. know, why not just, why, why bother? You know, I mean, it, so no, I'm not a big fan of, of, of the killing off of those characters. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I was, I'm going to kill off Harrison Ford in the movie. And then Luke and Leia, it's like, I don't like where this is going. I, you right. know, it's, it's hurting the, the boyhood <laughs> me you have you know, to, watching you have these to, movies. And, and, you know, I don't know that anybody at Disney, you know, asks those questions that you are now saying. Did anybody at any time ask what impact this has on all of these people? How yeah. how important these people are or how mm-hmm. connected they are to these people and what if you remove them, what is that going to do? Yeah. I don't think George Lucas is thrilled. No, I mean, I'm I've sure seen he's not. Many things George Lucas has said. And generally it has to do with, you know, like the story has lost the heart, you know, that you really yeah. care deeply about these characters and, and the story and what's happening to the alliance. I mean, yeah. do you still care? These are right. very important questions right yeah it's it, it those movies did not have the magic of the the first set of movies and the second set really i mean the second set was well, decent but the first set was just so good now now to give jj abrams some credit i mean what jj did with the last film with carrie in it was outstanding magical and if it wasn't for him carrie wouldn't have been in the movie at all hardly mm. but it took someone like him to champion it someone that had his clout I'm just a big mouth or John the Baptist crying in the wilderness. And, you know, and I am outspoken and I don't mind. You know, I'm print, I'm Carrie's brother. I have an opinion. Is it relevant? Well, either it is or it isn't. You don't have, you could take it as such. You know, I, I wasn't, it's like they were pissed off a lot of the things that I had said, basically saying Carrie needed to be, you know, continue in the movie back when they put her in the last film. I mean, they didn't, mm-hmm. they were not thrilled with me. You can look at the history of stories just by doing a Google search on what I was saying long before they agreed to put her back in the movie. Yeah. And it was, and it, and it really has to do, you know, with just my personal feelings. That's all. I'm, I'm just another fan in a way of the story of the characters. Right. Right. I care about princess Leia and what happens to her. Yeah. It's my freaking sister. Right. Like they were annoyed with me. Like I could be some impartial person to all of this. Right. Oh, you have to think more like a corporate person. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I'm just Carrie's brother, and this is the way I think. Right. So you did some Vegas performing. You're playing sure. the guitar on stage, things like that. You did not really enjoy being in front of the camera. You like the behind the camera. And just listening to this interview today, I feel like in many ways you were kind of behind the scenes helping out and doing things to make all of that magic that they were doing happen as well because you were helping out Carrie with the struggles that she was going through, helping out your mom. It's kind of an interesting you being well I, I have a way of explaining it. I, I considered myself the designated driver. <laughs> That's perfect. Because <laughs> at one time or another my mother was off the rails. Carrie goes off the rails. You know, so I spent a lot of time trying to keep them on the rails. Um I, I, I tell you, I was never attracted. I, I did some acting in my time. I did some television and film stuff. And, and I, I'm not saying I don't like it. It's fun. Uh, but I just never saw it as something that I wanted to be my career, my job. I much preferred uh, orchestrating other things from behind the scenes and, and right. seeing projects born you know, from paper to film or paper to digital. You know, I just enjoyed mm-hmm. the process of seeing things created from nothing. An actor uh, also does that, but it's just not as broad. And I like the process too much. Uh, when I was a little boy, my mother had a television special called The Sound of Children. It's actually 
the first time Carrie appears on television and I in acting roles. And mm-hmm. Carrie loved it. And we were working on the Disney back lot. And when I arrived on the set, all these people that I had grown up around, crew members and camera people, they were all out working. And I immediately wanted to go out and hang out with them. But as I was walking towards them, I was grabbed and, and moved into a trailer with all the other actors you know, where we were proceeded to have class and then make sure our lines and then do makeup mm-hmm. and hair and wardrobe. And all I could do is look out the window and see where all the magic was happening. Right. The wranglers were out there with the horses and the wagons mm-hmm. and the camera guys with the lights and all of the props and all this. And I'm looking out at that window and I'm sitting, I'm, I'm like, what am I doing in here? Right. And I had an epiphany. You know, I was probably, I was a Cub Scout, by the way. I was playing a Cub Scout, but I was actually a Cub Scout. So pre-Boy Scout, <laughs> you know, 10 years old, you know, and it was like a, an epiphany, like, wow, this is just not where I want to be. I'm not saying other people don't enjoy that, hanging out in the dressing room, waiting to go out there and everybody else does all the technical stuff. But I thought, no, man, the magic is out there. That's that's the magic I want to be involved with. I'll mention your books one more time, or your book one more time. Uh, My Girls: A Lifetime with Carrie and Debbie. Also, the uh, Bright Lights, starring Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Uh, yeah, that's on HBO on that's, demand. Yeah, yeah, on HBO Max. So be sure to check that out. Hey, Todd, thank you so much for joining me today. It's My pleasure. It's been great chatting with you. You're you're uh, you're very tuned into the subject matter. <laughs> thank you so much, and I hope to have you back again some other day to talk about anything else. Uh, <laughs> Such a fantastic storyteller. Yes, uh, let's talk about our birthdays for today, shall we? Andrew Johnson was born on this day in 1808. Okay, we'll go to more modern times here. Ted Danson is 73 today. Mary Tyler Moore was born on this day in 1936. She passed away in 2017. Jude Law is 48. Ross Lynch, you know, the Disney Channel star, he's 25 today. That's your look at December 29th. Thanks for listening to This Is Today. Today, we do our best to pull together all the correct information. If we made a mistake and you heard it, you're super smart and we're super sorry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five star if you think we deserve it. If you'd like to make sure that we cover something on a future episode, let us know. Just go to thisistodaypodcast.com to make suggestions, give us feedback, and see our other podcasts. I hope you enjoyed learning about today. I'm Russ, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.